ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستهديه ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله ونبيه وصفيه وحبيبه بلغ الرساله وادى الامانه ونصح للامه وجاهد في سبيل الله حتى اتاه اليقين وتركنا على المحجه البيضاء ليلها كنهارها لا يزيغ عنها الا هالك فاللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الاولين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الاخرين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في الملا الاعلى الى يوم الدين وصل وسلم على سيدنا محمد في كل وقت وحين وعلى اله الاطهار وعلى اصحابه الاخيار وعلى اتباعه الابرار الى يوم الدين يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما وبعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وان خير الهدي هدي سيدنا ومولانا رسول الله وان شر الامور لمحدثاتها فكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار recently pew research came out with a study about former muslims about people that were that grew up muslims grew up in muslim households and then left islam and the upshot of the of the study is about a quarter about a quarter of muslims in america that have grown up in muslim households as they come into adulthood they leave islam altogether for for various reasons but it's about a quarter and you might you might think that that's shocking But to be honest when I read the report I was like that's it because if you have gone to some of the masajid that are in North America you would be surprised that only a quarter of people that grow up muslim have left the faith if you went to some of these mosques and you heard what is being said and you saw what was being done and if you were a child a young person a young adult and you grew up in that environment in this country in this you know century most likely you would have left islam as well and i pass zero judgment on those people that have left islam because really i look to somebody like myself and i blame myself and i look to our institutions forget the mosques if you have gone to some of the gatherings that our major institutions hold and i and i'm not going to name anything or anybody but If you have gone to some of these things and if you have heard the discourse if you have heard the narrative 
If you have heard the Islam that's coming out from some of these people, you probably would have grown up and left Islam too. And what I say from a theological point of view is that these people haven't left Islam. They didn't know Islam in the first place. Because what, what they're leaving is, is that other stuff that they saw, that they experienced. And because of this, there's a, a large growing movement that I know many of you know about called Unmasked. You know, there's even a documentary that you can, you can watch to this effect. About families, individuals who have been essentially emotionally forced out of the mosque. They no longer feel welcome in the mosque. Whether they be family with special needs, which for us, as you know, is a concern and we have done our best to accommodate that in this center. You know, families that have children with special needs don't feel comfortable at many of the masajid. Why? Because they don't want the noise and they don't want the headache and, you know, just, just stay at home. Or individuals or new Muslims that come into the mosque and the Islam is not the Islam that, that they read about that caused them to convert in the first place. They find an ethnic Islam. They find a South Asian Islam or they find an Arab Islam or, or something or a Turkish Islam. And the language of the mosque might be other than English. And the English might be on life support, if there is any English. So they come in, they're like, well, I read about all these wonderful things in Islam and Muslims and all the, the beauty of the faith. And then I don't find that at the mosque. You know, I found them talking about troubles that, you know, exist somewhere else in the world that I've never been to and most likely never will be to. So this unmosked movement is because people do not feel comfortable in this institution, not this one, but any institution that claims to be a mosque. You know the funny thing is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَأَنَّ الْمَسَاجَدِ لِلَّهِ فَلَا تَدْعُوا مَعَ اللَّهِ أَحَدًا Indeed, these mosques, these places of worship, because that's what the word masjid means in Arabic, the place of sujood. These mosques are for Allah and Allah alone. So do not call other people, other things in the mosque. Meaning that this is not a place where we discuss partisan politics. This is not a place where we discuss our ethnic backgrounds. This is not a place where we discuss things that divide us. But this is a place that has been dedicated. Any mosque that has, is a place that is dedicated so each of us can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in peace and tranquility. So that we can discover this wonderful journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala individually. And as a community, we are here to help one another facilitate this journey for each other together. And the funny thing is when I read this report and I you know, was thinking about this unmasked movement, which, which is not just in this country but other countries, even in Muslim-majority countries. And I was thinking about what this means vis-a-vis -vis this verse. And I saw the funny thing is, is that in the name of religion, we are pushing people away from religion. But isn't the mosque in the name of religion? So in the name of Islam, we're pushing people away from Islam. In the name of God, we're pushing people away from God. And it reminded me, and we have this, you know, these moments in our own history, in the, in the way history in the past, that there were people that used to make up hadith, forge hadith. And the ulama would say, why are you lying about the Prophet? No, no, we're not lying about the Prophet. We're lying for the Prophet. We're making up these hadith so we, get, we, we instill the fear of God in people. 
The Prophet said, Whoever lies upon, uh, on me, about me on purpose, let them await their chair in the hellfire. The Prophet didn't sanction that we lie for his sake. He doesn't need us to lie for him. Allah does not need us to make things up. Alhamdulillah, one of the gifts that we have is our religion is clear. If you want it, it's there. It's clear, you can access it. And it reminded me that we kind of live in this time now. So let's go back to the beginning. You know, what is, what is this mosque supposed to be about or a mosque supposed to be about? One of the things that the Prophet ﷺ, he says that's unique about the Islamic faith because we share a lot of things with other faith traditions. But there are some things that are unique. One of the things is that the Prophet ﷺ said, The earth has been made for me pure and a place of worship. So when the Prophet ﷺ came, we, you know, we didn't have to have like a special temple in a special place, you know, like other traditions have where there's a fire that has to be kept like in the Zoroastrian tradition or like the Holy of Holies for the Jewish tradition or any other, you know, tradition for that matter, East or West. The Prophet said one of the unique features of Islam, it's like religion 2.0, one of the unique features of this faith is that you can pray anywhere. All you need is to have wudu, the time has come in, you know the direction and you pray Allahu Akbar, that's it. And if you've shared my experience, I'm sure many of you have prayed in the most awkward places known to man living in this country. We played every, everywhere and anywhere because the time comes in, we pray. Now, did the Prophet ﷺ, when he came to Medina, did he said, okay, you know, we're going to do this new religion. We don't need the institution. You know, we don't need the brick and mortars. This is the new, I'm the new guy. This is the new faith. So everyone just pray where they want. Despite this hadith, and its fiqh implications, the fact that you can pray where you need to pray. I mean, it might look awkward, but you can pray. It's, it's the prayer from the sharia point of view is valid. Other than the fiqh implication. This is not how Islam grew up. The first thing that the Prophet ﷺ did when he entered in Medina, the first thing, before he even knew where he was going to stay, is he decided to find the physical location of where the mosque of Medina will be built. You know, he didn't come in and say, okay, uh, everyone has to give allegiance to me. He didn't come in and say, okay, I got to rest for my, my journey. I got to get over my jet lag. Let me check into the hotel. He didn't do any of that. Before he even rested, وسلم, before he had a, a morsel of food to eat or a bed to lie down on, he said, we got to, the first thing is first, where is the mosque going to be built? I mean, this is not an accident. It could have been number two. It could have been number three. No one would have said anything if it took him a week, sallallahu alaihi to come to this decision. But the first thing that he did when he came into Medina is he said, where is the mosque going to be built? And from that time until our time, this has been the major physical institution that we have. If you go to the Muslim majority cities, you know, everywhere from uh, North Africa to South Asia, you know, even China, you see all of these beautiful mosques and they all have a story and they all have a history and they all have beautiful architecture and, and you know, maybe there are saints that are buried there and all of these type of wonderful things. But this is the institution, physical institution that Islam gave us. Because this was the center of our religious life. 
because of this verse, وَأَنَّ الْمَسَاجَدَ لِلَّهِ That these mosques are for Allah, to access Allah, to worship Allah, and you can access Allah anywhere of course, but the idea is this is going to facilitate, this space will facilitate you in your worship, in your practice, in your journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So throughout our history, this is what we had. Now the Prophet's mosque, sallallahu alayhi wa was also essentially, you know, like his home. I mean, he didn't live in the mosque, but his mosque was attached, like the way the room here is attached to the prayer hall. His mosque was, was just a curtain away from his resting place, sallallahu alayhi wa where he's buried now, sallallahu alayhi wa So everything happened in the mosque, not just the prayer, not just the teaching, but all aspects of politics at that time of statecraft happened at the mosque. And two stories should remind us of what it means to have a real mosque that has real access, equal access to anyone who wants to come to the mosque. The first story, and you know these stories. The first story is the man that comes into the mosque and he starts urinating. A Bedouin comes into the mosque and he just starts peeing. Now the Sahaba, they're livid. I mean, imagine if somebody came in right now and started peeing in the mosque. What would we do? We'd go crazy. And, you know, no one would sort of blame us. I mean, that's very rude, unethical, immoral. You know, the mosque or any place that doesn't belong to you. You don't go in and just start peeing. And the Sahaba, they were going to go crazy. And what did the Prophet ﷺ say? He said, let him finish. And then when he's done, pour some water over it. And then, you know, tell him, don't pee in the mosque. I mean, can you imagine that sight? I want you to think about that, you know, seriously. That reaction. Then a man comes in and starts taking a leak in the mosque. I'm sorry. Everyone's crazy. And everyone here being the Sahaba, not people like us, people that we look up to. And then the Prophet said, just let him finish. You can't cut someone off when they're doing that. It's going to be even more messy. Just let him finish. Pour some water over it so it's clean. Khalas, we, we took care of the, the urine. And just educate him. You can even almost imagine him saying, just, yeah. Because if somebody has the mindset to do something like that in the first place, I mean, you've got to start at where that person is. The Prophet didn't ban him. The Prophet didn't call the cops. He didn't put a lock on the mosque. He didn't put his face outside saying this is banned. He didn't go around spreading emails and rumors and libeling this guy's name. But rather the Prophet saw this person as one of his people. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. One of his people. One of his companions. The people that we look up to now. He didn't excommunicate him. He didn't attack him physically. But he let him finish the deed. See, the mosque is open. That means that the mosque is, is accessible. That means that the mosque is a place where anyone feels comfortable, even somebody that wants to come and pee in the mosque. I mean, not in the bathroom, but in the mosque mosque, in the masjid part. The second story is the story of towards the end of the life of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He, you know, he, he has taken Mecca. So Mecca is his, there's no more threat. Uh, the internal dispute of the tribes of Medina has been settled. So everything is sort of secure. So the Prophet ﷺ starts looking outside of even the Arabian Peninsula and he starts 
corresponding with heads of state in Egypt, the Roman Empire, the Byzantine, the Eastern Roman Empire, Persia, uh, Oman, Bahrain, and Yemen. And many of these people, they write letters, some of them are not nice, some of them are sort of nice, and some of them actually came to the Prophet ﷺ. So there's this Christian community in Yemen. And they send a delegation of statesmen and religious leaders. Now there's no, uh, you know, accommodation in Medina in the uh, 8th century that can, you know, take care of something like this. There's no hotel or hostel. So the biggest structure is the mosque. So the Prophet ﷺ invites them to stay in the mosque. And the Christians of Yemen, they spend the night Several days, several nights in the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, the masjid that we pray in now in Medina. And when it came time for those Christians to pray, they stood up with their cross and with their Bible and they prayed their Christian prayer in the mosque of Sayyidina Muhammad ﷺ. With the permission of the Prophet ﷺ. It wasn't like he was absent, so the Sahaba made a mistake, or he fell asleep, or he forgot, or he was mad. It was his permission that allowed the Christians of Yemen to come and stay in his mosque to worship. And these people, by the way, they did not convert to Islam. So the Prophet said, cool. I mean, that's my language, but you know, what we would say is, cool, you go back and you're safe. Your priests are safe. Your bishops are safe. Your cross is safe. Your Bible is safe. Peace. That was the point of the exchange, is to establish relations. Not to coerce people to convert, because coercion does not create faith, it creates hypocrisy. That's why Allah says, La ikraha fid deen. Imagine that kind of access. Imagine if you walked into a mosque in this area, and you saw a Christian group, or a Jewish group, or a Buddhist group, or something praying in the mosque. Imagine if they came and asked, can we use the mosque? I mean, we've prayed in all sorts of houses of worship, particularly this community, while the construction and the zoning and all of that finished. Imagine if it was reversed. See, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, الْمَسَاجَدَ لِلَّهِ That these mosques don't belong to us. We're just custodians of this mosque. But this mosque is to facilitate worship of God. And God doesn't belong to us. We are Allah's creation. He is the Rabb of everyone, of everything. Whether they acknowledge or they don't acknowledge. Whether they believe in our way or they don't believe in our way and they believe in another way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran not to harm places of worship and churches and temples in which the name of Allah is mentioned. These details sometimes we just gloss over. But Allah is telling us those churches and those temples, my name is worshipped in those places. Do not harm them, do not destroy them, do not violate them. Treat them with respect. Why? Because Allah's name is being mentioned. Now there might be theological differences, uh, sharia differences, but if you go above all of that, who, what is being, who is being worshipped? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is being worshipped. At the end of it, it's just another way to access the divine, the creator. So I come back to where I started, I think about this, this, this quarter. There's 23-25% of people that have left Islam. And that's just in this country. You know, Allah Alam what it's like elsewhere. And I don't blame them at all. But imagine if these people, they had a space 
that they could come to that was open, that was accessible, where they could learn, where they could thrive, where they weren't judged, where they weren't turned away for their questions. You know, one time, recently, I was invited to give a khutbah in this area. I won't mention the mosque. And I received an email, it's like a standard email to all of the people that give the khutbah. You know, rule number one, you do not speak about anything controversial. Well, what does that mean? You know, I have been doing this for 22 years. I was thinking the other day, when did I get myself in, into this? 22 years I have been doing this. And I have dedicated more than half of my life. I have dedicated to some form of study of religion and some form of study of Islam. Not that I'm an expert. But if I tell you something and you don't know it, then it automatically becomes a controversy. So if I tell you, you know, you can combine your prayers without traveling according to the Shafi'i Madhab. If you don't know that, then khalas, we've created a controversy. So when they tell me, and I'm assuming they're inviting me because they think I have something to offer, or I have something to, to teach, or, and again, I, I could be wrong, I'm always wrong. I mean, my wife points that out to me all the time. I could be wrong many times, and my parents point that out to me. But I know something, a little bit about this stuff. So what is controversial? I mean, wh why is that the first rule of the khatib is not to be controversial? I thought the rule of this is to remind us, to teach us, to sort of motivate us uh, at the end of the week, because it's the end of our week, into the weekend, into next week, to learn something. I thought that's the, the, ro the role. I mean, that's what a thousand years of Islamic scholarship says. I've never read that the role of the khatib is not to be controversial. So if I'm not controversial, then we're going to go down and down and down to the lowest common denominator. Pretty soon you're going to find me up here with a guitar saying, be good, don't be bad, be happy, don't be sad, وَأَخْمِ salah." And that's all it's going to be. And then somebody's going to say, oh, the guitar is haram, brother. And then I have to come in with a, a duff or something like that. I mean, what is that? Don't be controversial. Don't speak about politics. Okay, I agree with that. And all of these rules that, I mean, you know, whoever wrote these rules does not understand what the institution of Jummah is for. But imagine if somebody, if you grew up, and this quarter of, Allah Alam, the quarter that left, if they had something like what we have, they're not judged and they're welcomed. They get their questions answered. They're treated with respect. I mean, it's not just special needs families, but one of the most disenfranchised segment of our community are women. How many mosques put the women in the most atrocious of prayer spaces? You know, tin huts that have like no HVAC or outside or there's no place at all. Or they're like in some kind of steel fortress that's like, you know, with lock and key. I mean, this is ridiculous. Is this what the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ was like? The Prophet ﷺ left the Jummah khutbah, which in fiqh is a rukn. Is a, this is an integral part of prayer. This is like praying the two missing rakahs of dhuhr. He broke this to, to descend from the mimbar and play with his grandchildren, al-Hasan and al-Hussein. The mosque is where the women would argue with the Sahaba, would argue with Sayyidina Umar when he was the Khalifa, would, would argue uh, and, and, and voice their opinions in front of the Prophet And those women are the best women that humanity has ever seen. And who are we? There are our examples. Who are we to say, no, women can't come. Women can't pray. Do not accommodate uh, for the, the, a prayer space for the woman. Because this is not the ninth century. 
You know, everyone's coming to the mosque now and pray. I can understand how pre-modern mosques do not have places for women to pray because it was not normal for women at that time to go to the mosque. Because the Jummah is farther for us, it's not farther for them. But the time has changed. We all need to come to the mosque. All the time. We need a little bit of this dose of some spirituality. Kids are not welcome. Women are not welcome. New Muslims are not welcome. People that have different inclinations are not welcome. People that have addictions are not welcomed. Well, guess what? This is what our society is made up of. All these type of people. And all of these people have a right to come to the mosque, have a right to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if we find a mosque or an institution that allows this, do you think it is worth supporting? Do you think it is worth sacrificing for? Do you think it is worth fighting for? That's the question I want us to think about today on this Jummah. That we are infinitely blessed with this center. And all of the people and families and the components that made it. And I think it is worth fighting for. Because I know, because I have been around at least in this area for the last, I mean all my life really in this area. And I'm telling you, if I was left to some of those other mosques, Allah Alam, I could have been one of those people in the quarter where not for my parents that I had as an example. But some people don't have that. And if we don't have these safe spaces that are easily accessible, which essentially is another way of saying this is sunnah, this is what the salaf did, this is what the Prophet left us with. Leave them open for people to find Allah. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم. So as as you know, we have maybe seventy odd days left until Ramadan, and somebody has come to tell us that if they will match dollar for dollar everything that goes into the donation box, the boxes that are outside. You put in a dollar, that brother is going to put in a dollar. You put in a hundred, he's going to put in a hundred. And this has been going on now for some time. And this is an, op- it's an opportunity for the mosque itself, but it's also an opportunity for us to really think about what we have here. This is a unique place. And it, it's unique because of all of us, not because of one person or one component. It's unique because of everyone that is a part of this community. I think that this place is worth fighting for, sacrificing for, striving for, really dedicating more of our energy to building it up because we don't just need this place. But every family, every Muslim family, individual in this vicinity, in the D.C. metro area needs this place. And I think that we should really think about what that means for us. Before the dua, this is like now the sunnah of the khutbah, you have to weave in the announcements. Halaqa tonight at 7 p.m. Daylight saving is this weekend, so as you spring forward, don't fall. But that means that the uh, Fajr on Sunday is going to be at 6.30 in the morning. Daylight saving is tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. Sunday. 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 I, I'm sorry, Sunday. Saturday night, Sunday morning. So Sunday, the, the halaqa will be at 6.30. Uh, March 11th, there are two Palestine-related films that are showing at St. John's at 2.30 in the afternoon. And all of this is in the email, by the way. So if you don't catch it, you can catch the email. 
On March the 14th, there is a, at Har Shalom, which is the synagogue on Falls, there is a, a group from a Palestine and Israel, an Israeli settler and a Palestinian, and uh, they're like on a speaking tour together, and they've sort of reconciled their differences, and they are hosting them at 7 p.m. And then on March the 17th at 5.30, uh, there is the youth halaqa in the mosque. So again, for those that have uh, young, young ones, um, I mean, being sort of 13 and above, please come. Uh, last announcement is that one of the, the members that used to pray with us here, particularly in Ramadan, has passed away in Bangladesh last Friday, Ashfaqur Rahman. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy on his soul and to bless his family. He leaves uh, two adult daughters and three sisters. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him the best of endings and to enter him into paradise, uh, to expand for him his entrance and to have mercy on his soul. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy on our souls and to, to save us in this world and in the hereafter. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us, to bless our parents, to bless our children, to have mercy on those who have passed before us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to always make this mosque a mosque of God, a mosque that is open to everyone and anyone who wants to find their path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to increase us in knowledge, to increase us in love and in compassion and wisdom. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring our hearts together in, in brotherhood and in sisterhood. وعفنا فيمن عفيت وتولنا فيمن توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا واصرف عنا شر ما قضيت اللهم تقبل صلاتنا وصيامنا وقيامنا وركوعنا وسجودنا يا أرحم الراحمين وانقلنا من دائرة سخطك إلى دائرة رضاك وافتح علينا فتوح العارفين بك واحشرنا تحت لواء نبيك صلى الله عليه وسلم يوم القيامة واسقنا من يده الشريفة شرب ماء لا نظمأ بعدها أبدا ثم أدخلنا الجنة بغير حساب ولا سابقة عقاب ولا عتاب ومتعنا بالنظر إلى وجهك الكريم في جنات الخلد يا رحيم وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين وصل اللهم على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وأقم الصلاة إن صلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا